Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to the podcast. So you heard the new intro. The music was the same. It's still me, but we've got a new co-host. We've got new guests. We've got a new theme, a lot of new and exciting things. So for this month on the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, we're going to be diving deep with our guests on the topic of intuitive fitness and how you can begin to change the way you view exercise away from an all or nothing mentality that is always tied or almost always tied to changing or maintaining the size or shape of your body. Our guests this month are all non-diet fitness professionals who practice from a body-neutral, weight-inclusive approach, all with the goal of making movement more accessible, flexible, and joyful for all bodies, which is so radical. Unfortunately, we know. Our guest this week is Carolyn Vig, a certified personal trainer, online content creator, and a body acceptance and anti-diet activist. She believes in taking a weight-neutral, anti-diet approach to fitness that rejects diet culture and embraces each individual's unique needs. She helps people develop a positive relationship with fitness that is rooted in self-compassion, self-care, and self-love. Carolyn specializes in helping people with a history of disordered eating, reclaim movement, and create health-promoting lifestyle changes outside of the toxic and oppressive expectations of diet culture. And she believes that all people in all types of bodies deserve to move in ways that feel good, bring joy, and add value to their life. Well, Carolyn, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. We're really pumped to have you here to have a really fun discussion about weight-inclusive personal training and intuitive fitness and everything. So we would love if you could get started by telling us and the listeners a little bit more about your personal health journey and how your relationship with fitness has evolved over the years. Sure. So my um, health journey and how that's intertwined with fitness started out kind of young for me, actually. Um, I first became sort of like acutely aware of my health when I was around, uh, I was 11 years old, because that's when I found out that I had food allergies. And so finding out that I was allergic to foods, and so then having to learn how to read ingredient labels and food labels as a result got me really, really interested in nutrition, which I went on to study um, in college for undergrad. And it also got me, you know, tangentially interested in fitness. And right around the same time, I started practicing martial arts just as an after-school activity. I mean, I was 11, I was in fifth grade. So I was still, you know, bouncing around all the different sports and hadn't really gotten introduced to like, like fitness and like gym working out that kind of world. Um, But I started doing martial arts, which then evolved over the years into learning how to weight lift and all those kinds of things. Um, But because of all of that happening when I was in my like tweens and early teens, uh, being active and um, learning about fitness and wellness has always been 
um, important to me and played a really big role in the way that I experienced health and pursued health throughout my teenage years and into now. Um, in a lot of ways, it was really, really great because, you know, learning how to do things like read food labels, that kind of stuff. I became health literate, I guess you could say at a pretty young age, but like a lot of people who take an early interest in nutrition, it also meant I got a lot of early exposure to diet culture. And so, um, there over the years have been many, many learning experiences of trying to address certain health concerns or reach a certain health related goal using practices that I thought would be helpful, but ended up not being as helpful as I hoped they would be. Now you practice more of what you call intuitive fitness, right? And weight inclusive training. So how did you get from those different learning experiences to where you are now? Yeah, great question. So, um, so I started personal training when I was in college. So while I was getting my undergraduate degree in nutrition, um, I thought I was at the time, I thought I was going to go on to become a registered dietitian. Um, turns out I didn't end up doing that, but, <laughs> uh, in an effort to kind of make whatever my job was like my, uh, like job just to make money while I was in college. Yeah. So I started training clients on campus and loved it. I thought it was really fun at the time. Didn't think it would turn into a career, but when I realized, Ooh, I actually don't want to become a dietitian. I already had a couple years experience doing this other thing. So I figured, you know what, I'll just start working as a trainer full-time. I'll get a job at a gym where I'm moving and I'll just do that until I figure out whatever I want to do next. Well, here we are almost seven years later and <laughs> I've just continued to love personal training, but that didn't come without a few complications because basically the first, well, the first gym I worked at, the on-campus gym, totally hands-off. I had so much independence, so much freedom. And I was mostly working with people who actually didn't have specific like weight loss goals. That, that wasn't really what I started with, what I started doing. Cause I was training college students, um, professors on campus, um, and people who were like longtime clients of that gym and kind of just got a new trainer every time there's graduated and they just liked having someone to help them work out and they've been doing it for years. So it was a great introduction to it that wasn't as tied up in diet culture. But then when I graduated, couldn't work at that gym anymore and found a new one to work at, it was sort of a lot of the worst case scenario and uh, <laughs> nightmare experiences when it comes to the way that diet culture shows up in the fitness industry. So I only worked at this gym for six months, but it seemed like a lot longer. <laughs> and in that six months, I was forced to weigh potential clients at every uh, like new client onboarding meeting. I was um, a really important part of my job was selling supplements like selling as many supplements as I could to whoever would buy them. And of course, making kind of grandiose claims about how these supplements will help you in your weight loss journey was a big part of that. Uh, there was a weight loss challenge that I had to participate in, have like a team to try to get people to, I, I don't even remember the exact specifics of it, but it was a lot of stuff that I had never encountered in that kind of intensity before and realized, whoa, 
is this what working in fitness is going to be like? Because at the time I, I was still invested in kind of a weight centric paradigm, but more in a, like not, not in such an extreme way as this gym was in. I was like, why am I being forced to have everybody focus on weight loss when only these people even want to, or where I think this person, it would be a bad idea for them to focus on weight loss, but there was no nuance at all. And so in experiencing that lack of nuance, I started to search for um, just other information about the fitness industry and other options about how I could be op like operating within it. And I was also looking for um, support for my own body image struggles. That was a big part of it at the time too. So through both those experiences, I kind of stumbled onto some body positive Instagram pages which then um, reintroduced me to the book Intuitive Eating that I had read once in college, but kind of forgotten about. And, um, and was also introduced to uh, Help at Every Size. And those three kinds of movements, Intuitive Eating, Help at Every Size, and the Body Positive Movement on Instagram, this was around 2016. Um, it opened my eyes to like, all of these other things in my industry that were an issue, all the things that I was doing that I had never even thought of as problematic or harmful or toxic that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is even hurting people. And I knew that I had to do something different. So luckily I already had an out of this job. I was already planning on moving to Orlando, Florida, where I live now. And so I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to start my own business, start training independently and just do it the way that I want to. Um, and that I know is best without the pressure from an employer or just a company culture to do things that I don't really feel aligned with my values. So that's how that transition happened. That's an awesome story. I kind of like how it, like, you know, you set the seed for like when you were a child and kind of how you got attached to, you know, your vision of health at the time and then how it slowly evolved. And I, I think about that a lot about, you know, Dana, I talk about this a lot about how health at every size and weight inclusive care is kind of a natural progression of deepening, you know, education. And it sounds like that was really what it was like for you. Exactly. Yeah. There was no other path for my understanding of health to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's like the more you dig into it and the more you start to see like, wait, that's not how this works. That's not how the body works. You know? So that's cool that, that you kind of had that almost like that when, when you started going deeper into your own body image, you started realizing like, wait a minute, other people are experiencing the same. <laughs> this mm -hmm. Why are we all so obsessed with looking like figure competitors when we're not even entering into figure competitions? <laughs> Why do I need to be eating all these supplements? What exactly. are you doing for me? So that kind of, did that kind of lead you to the idea of, did the intuitive eating book and principles like kind of help form how you work as a fitness instructor? Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, that book, once I reread it, sort of when I was more in the depths of my own um, experiences with disordered eating and body image issues, it really helped me with healing a lot. And I thought that the, um, the principles mapped very easily onto other areas of health and wellness. Like it's not just about food, but just the whole concept of listening to your body, letting go of the diet mentality, um, 
not just listening to your body, but like understanding the messages that it's trying to give you and understanding how to act on those messages in order to feel the way that you want to feel. Um, it, it maps so easily onto other areas of health and wellness and uh, very easily onto fitness. So I, I don't um, take clients through like an exact progression of like the 10 principles of intuitive eating, but from a fitness perspective, I have made a YouTube video about that for people who are interested in, in seeing how, how they compare it kind of like a one-to-one -one comparison, but the principles of intuitive eating definitely inform the way that I talk about fitness and um, the way that I encourage my clients to interact with fitness, I guess. Yeah. So speaking of that, well, first, we will include that YouTube video in the show notes because we were, so as always, we always research our guests. We like look at their Instagrams, their YouTubes, all the things. And I was like, ooh, this is so cool. I want to go into this. So another thing that you in the same light had posted about recently is should I work out today, right? So like the question of like, should I work out? And all of the many like layers that go along with that, right? So how do you help your clients with an intuitive approach to exercise approach that question? Ooh, so first of all, I probably should mention that, especially at this point that I've been operating from this very like non-diet weight inclusive perspective um, for a few years now, Almost everyone who approaches me to be a client is already somewhere on their journey of healing in that sense. Most of my clients have um, a history of an eating disorder that they are either currently in treatment for or in the past have been through treatment for. So a lot of them are also already familiar with the concepts of anti-diet intuitive eating, and they already have a desire to approach fitness from a non-diet perspective. Um, so that takes a lot of the work out of it for me, actually, because it's like, they come to me and it's like, oh, we already want the same thing. Like, <laughs> we know we're not going to be making weight loss goals. You know, I'm not going to have you step on the scale. So yeah, it really starts from like the first meeting that we have, where I really set the stage and make it clear that like, this is not a judgmental environment and that I'm not expecting anything out of them. Because I think a lot of people enter into relationships with fitness professionals, and this is on the fitness professionals and the fitness industry at large for creating this kind of relationship dynamic, where it's it's like an authority figure that you want to please and that you need to um, live up to their expectations. And they have a certain set of expectations and a certain set of rules for you to follow. And if you don't live up to that, or if you break the rules, then you are in trouble. <laughs> then you are doing something bad. They aren't gonna like you. They're gonna be disappointed in you. And um, I think that really sucks. And I don't think it helps anyone. Um, so I really try to make it clear from the beginning that this is, that's not the kind of relationship we're going to have here. Like you are in charge. I am here to help you on your fitness journey. And I I'm here to help you work out in a way that is safe and appropriate and fun for you. Those are my only goals. And you get to decide what that means. <laughs> like you get to decide 
um, what is fun for you in terms of working out. You get to decide if there's certain exercises that you want to get better at. Like those are your goals to decide and I can help you come up with those. But I make it very clear from the beginning that it's a collaboration and that I am not going to be mad, upset, disappointed in any way because of any choice you might make about your own body. So that means if you need to take a day off, if you need to push a workout to another day, if you need to take of an entire month off of working out for whatever the reason may be, that is always allowed. So that comes across in the initial conversation where I make it clear this is a collaboration. In the end, you are the final authority on your own body. And I'm just helped here to help with guidance, fill in knowledge gaps, be here for encouragement, be here for accountability. That's my job. Um, the other thing that I do that I would not be able to do if I worked at um, for anybody else really at a big gym is that I have an extremely flexible cancellation policy. Basically, the only time I would like penalize someone for canceling a workout is if they forget to, if they don't tell me that they're canceling, right? <laughs> if I sit around for an hour and they never show up, then I'm, I'm going to still take that workout check it off the list. But if it's 10 minutes before and you realize, oh my God, I don't have the energy for this. Cool. Just text me. What day do you want to work out instead? Do you want to just cancel for this week? Do you want to try again tomorrow? I, I try to be as flexible as possible. And I know not every fitness professional is capable of doing that or willing to do that, but um, flexibility in terms of scheduling and cancellation is something I value very, very highly. And I try to provide that um, mostly for the reason that without that kind of flexibility, it becomes a lot harder to listen to your body because there's all of these other pressures of to, to, that might get you to decide to work out when it might not be a good idea. You know, I don't want to lose the money for this session. I uh, don't want her to feel like I'm wasting her time. That's a big one that I sometimes hear from people. You're not, you're not wasting anybody's time by listening to your body, or even if you are, it's like not your problem, you know? <laughs> No, that makes sense. That's also rare. I feel like it's extremely rare, which makes me sad, but, uh, yeah. but I know what you mean about the, the perception of authority. I think Dane and I deal with that a lot as nutritionists. People always think that we're going to judge them based off of their, their food choices and stuff. And I think one of the biggest things I actually had a client say to me this morning, so you're giving me permission to eat was, was like an interesting thing. And, but, but for you too, like, oh, you're giving me permission to rest is such a great thing. And sometimes hearing that from someone of a perceived authority who just happens to have more knowledge base, but we don't have more knowledge base on them, like on their, on their individual body, I think can be really liberating for people. And so, but also at the same time, some people, right. Like might need that challenged a little bit, right. Like Sure, absolutely. And that's one of the kinds of things that we also talk about in those initial sessions. I ask them about why they're even seeking out a trainer in the first place. Like if they've worked with coaches before, what kind of coaching style works with them? And, and so just creating a very open and honest dialogue from the beginning is super helpful because I'll have conversations with clients all the time where I know that, um, you know, they're having a tough time, like a tough week, or they had to reschedule a couple days ago because they weren't feeling well. So I check in with them. How are you feeling? Like, are you feeling up to a workout today? Um, are you feeling up to a workout, but you need it to be a little bit less intense? Um, so it's, 
it, like I, I'm here to help in that decision making as well. And, um, and that's where the flexibility piece comes in. Also, it's not like the program that I give someone is so rigid that it can't be modified to fit their needs for that day. The, the first thing that I ask people when we get on, um, well, it's a, always a call now for a personal training session because of Miss COVID, um, but it, it's, how are you feeling today? What kind of workout are you in the mood for? Here's what I have planned for today. How does that sound to you? And then just regular check-ins as we're going. How's that foot injury feeling? Is, is anything we're doing today bothering it? Okay, great. Um, it, like, how's your energy? Do you feel like we need to scale back? Do you feel like you want to go up and wait? That looked a little bit easy for you today. So it's just about communication. It's about always asking questions about how the workout feels. Do they like it? Do they want anything to change? And then being open to whatever their answer is and ready to make a new decision and try it out. So for the, those of you who are listening who don't have access to the amazing Carolyn, right, and don't have a personal trainer who's asking them all these great questions, how do you help your clients or how can people, the listeners, how can we help them go through that thought process themselves? Like should, is today the right day to push or is today the right day to rest? And how do you kind of help people get to this place where they can start thinking through is this plan that I have for today right for today? Or is today the right day for me to take a beat and get? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Cause it can be really hard to know sometimes. So the first thing that I would have people ask themselves is just to, in general, um, like ask themselves a few questions about why they work out in the first place, understanding where their motivation to exercise is coming from. Because if it's coming from external pressures, like I feel like I need to work out X number of times a week in order to see myself as a productive person, or <laughs> I need to stick to this program in order to look a certain way, um, or I need to do this workout to make my trainer happy. Uh, <laughs> that's where you can run into some trouble because that the, those motivations are in place um, to meet other people's expectations of you, not to honor your own needs. So if you're looking at your list of motivators and realizing like, ooh, almost all of these or all the ones that I find really important are really about other people and not about myself or about like society and not about myself, um, then it might be chance to pause and maybe come up with some new motivators that you would, uh, that resonate with you. So, you know, other ones that are more intrinsically motivated. I know that when I work out regularly, my mental health is better. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing to know about yourself, because that means that even if you're having a day where you're really, really busy and it's hard to schedule a workout or you're really stressed, maybe you're in a tough mental, mental health moment, knowing that fact about yourself might help you say, okay, even though I don't really have the motivation to do anything super intense today, I know if I just go for a walk or do 10 minutes of yoga, that's going to help me feel a lot better. So that would be a reason to choose to work out, even though you're quote unquote, not feeling it, if that makes sense. But then on the flip side of things, you might know about yourself. I have a recurring injury that tends to get worse during times of high stress. And this is a time of high stress. So if I choose to go to the gym, I gotta be real careful with that shoulder because I know that this is a time 
that I'm like primed to re-injure it. So it, it's about, it's about knowing yourself. It's about knowing why you exercise in the first place. And then just day to day, what you're hoping to get out of that workout, if you were to choose to do it, like what, what would the value be that you're um, getting from it? So if the value is, I feel good about myself because I'm conforming to society's expectations of health and no, (laughs) is, is it because it would make my body feel better right now today? Awesome. Go give it a try. The other thing then is like, okay, so I've decided either, you know what, today is not the day to work out. I'm not going to do it because I've decided that the things that motivate me to work out from a positive place from like those intrinsic positive motivators don't line up with my current situation right now. So today is not a great day to work out. Awesome. Then you just don't work out. If you decide, you know what, even though I'm feeling tired, even though I'm really busy, even though working out doesn't sound like the most exciting or fun thing to do right now, I think it would make me feel better because of X, Y, or Z, or I think it would be important to me because of X, Y, or Z. Then the next step is asking yourself like, okay, so what do I even feel like doing? Like what type of workout sounds like it would feel good for me? If you're already on like a pre-programmed workout program, then you look at what would be planned for that day and go, does this sound good? And either the answer is yes or no. And then you move on from there. Or if you're not on any kind of particular program, then it's, you know, what activity sounds like it, it would feel good or sounds like it would be fun or is accessible to me right now. And then you can go from there. And then the next step is you're actively working out, check in with yourself. All those things that I was listing off before that I asked my clients during sessions, how are you feeling? Did this, is this triggering your pain or your injury? Are you having fun with this? Ask yourself those questions as you go. Cause just because before you said, you know, I'm going to go out for a two mile run. Doesn't mean you actually have to run for two miles. If halfway into it, you decide, you know what? I'm done. You're done. It doesn't matter what you decided before. You're always allowed to change your mind and be flexible with yourself um, and listen to your body and honor what it's telling you. And whatever decisions that means you have to make are totally fine. And you're allowed to make them. So so a couple of different things. I want to talk about the stress and injury piece because I think that's something that is so overlooked. But the second piece that you just said is like, you know, mid-workout, you can always change. I think this is really, really hard for people who grew up in a competitive athletic environment, whether it was like Christina was a dancer, right? Like I was a swimmer. And it's like, if you're in a competitive sport, no matter what it is, when you're training to do that, like you go to practice and you do exactly what the coach says and you finish the practice. And I think a lot of us, until you've kind of untangled those feelings of like, oh, I'm trying to please the coach, you know, going back to what you were saying before, it's really hard to allow yourself to kind of like recalibrate whether like, I think mid session would probably be the hardest, but like even beforehand, you know, you're, you're used to having like a training plan or you show up to practice or you show up with a personal trainer and you're like, okay, this is what we're doing today. And I feel like it would be really hard for people to deviate from that because of the guilt that would come up. Yeah, I totally agree with what you just said. So I didn't come from a competitive team sport background, but like I said, I did do martial arts and that is very much a you're competitive with yourself type of sport. Um, It's a how fast can you rise through the belt ranks? How, you know, powerful can you make your own kicks, all of that. So that kind of internal competition is something that I definitely can relate to. 
And if you're someone who struggles with that, then my recommendation to you would be to choose activities that trigger that in you the least, if that makes sense. So even though you might have a lot of experience with gym workouts or with running um, or whatever, because you played a sport that required you to do workouts like that, if that mindset bit is something you struggle with, I would say that's actually a reason to not do those activities, at least for a little while. And instead explore activities that feel more like play and less like training. So um, just trying something that you've never done before can, can be one because you're going into it with that mindset of I'm a beginner and like give yourself permission to be a beginner. So it's okay if you mess up. Like, it's okay if you don't do it perfectly because you've never done it before. No one expects you to do it perfectly on the first try. So that's one kind of like mental trick you can use. Also just doing things that like, it would be really hard to be competitive with because there's just virtually, like there's no way to do it right or wrong. Like just having a dance party or going for a walk. Like there's no way to go for a walk incorrectly. There's no way to dance to a Lizzo song badly. You know what I mean? Like not a dance routine, not necessarily a dance video freestyle, do whatever you need to do to take those triggers out of it. Cause from an intuitive eating perspective and a like disordered eating perspective, one of the first things you do when you're in recovery from something like that is minimize triggers as much as possible. So you can get to the place where you're able to face those triggers and overcome that mental and emotional challenge of overcoming them. And so the same thing is with fitness. If going into a gym and lifting weights is really triggering for you in that way, who's saying that that's the workout that you have to do? It's totally fine to find something else that doesn't feel as competitive so that you can heal that part of your relationship with movement before you then tackle the competitiveness aspect of it. So um, just remembering that a workout doesn't have to be the thing you've always defined it to be. It doesn't have to be running X number of miles. It doesn't have to be a hit workout. It doesn't have to be lifting weights. Any type of movement counts. And especially when you're trying to heal your relationship with exercise, um, being open to trying new things and putting aside the things that have been a part of your disorder that like, if you are a competitive person and if that part of your nature is something that is hard for you in having a peaceful relationship with exercise, then the question, then it's not, it's not an, um, a question of forcing yourself to get over it or just pushing through that. It's about asking yourself, how can I change my environment or the situations I'm putting myself in to not be triggered in that way at all until I am ready to kind of like do the therapy work <laughs> to, to tackle that part of my mentality and my personality. Um, so yeah, what, what can you do instead? What activities sound like they would feel like play and not like work training or competition? You know what I've been hearing a lot and I, um, throughout the whole theme that you've been talking about, because I'm thinking about a lot of people that are listening to us now. Some people are coming to us because they are like Dana who are big into CrossFit and they've done all those things, right? And so like, and also we have, as you, big surprise, a lot of perfectionistic people or people who align with being kind of perfectionistic. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is for the people who are like that and they like that structure and they want that plan and it's hard to deviate from that plan. One thing that I keep hearing from you over like this theme 
throughout this whole time has been all about honoring and flexibility, right? Like you're honoring what your body's doing right now, how you're feeling, you're checking in with your body and then you're being flexible with it. Like the fact that you just said in there, um, if you're mid run and you decide, uh, nah, I'm not feeling this anymore. Don't want to do it. And you're out is like the ultimate flexibility. Talk about like taking a plan and done. I'm out. Like, that's it. I've literally done that on a race before. Yeah. Mid race decided I hate running. I'm not doing this anymore. And I just stopped running. I, yeah. I mean, to be fair, this is something that I've been working on personally with for a long time. Like if I, even on things that are like supposed to be fun, um, and that are just games. Like I'm the kind of person who doesn't like it when things get too heated or intense. So I was once playing just like a, a like a backyard game and everyone was just getting too intense and competitive about it. I just walked away. I just left. <laughs> and so it's a little bit different. It's not a workout, but I just try to take that kind of energy also into my self-care. That if something's feeling wrong, that is enough of a reason that gut feeling this doesn't feel right that's enough of a reason to stop and at least just pause and ask yourself why might this be feeling wrong why might this not be feeling right um and then maybe try it again tweak it a little bit and keep going or just to stop entirely and i mean i am absolutely a recovering perfectionist and i i think i i think for people who like structure and like rules and like a plan. I don't think that's a bad thing because I think structure and rules and a plan can be really, really useful. But I think if you are telling yourself, I need only structure, rules and plans in order to succeed, uh, survive, I think that is maybe a little bit of a coping mechanism or a trauma response, like a total lack of ability to be flexible is something that I think is worth investigating within yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to like give up on all your structure altogether, whatever it is, but it's just noticing like, ooh, do I feel like I am only capable of participating in something if, if it's completely planned out and laid out for me? And will any little change totally throw me off? Because if so, that's gonna make a lot of things in life really, really hard, not just fitness. And luckily fitness is actually a great place to practice being flexible because the consequences are minor, you know, <laughs> compared to other things in life, like relationships, jobs, family, whatever. And fitness, it's like your own personal thing. So if you make a decision that you end up being like, eh, that wasn't the best decision, like the world will move on and almost nobody will even know that it happened besides you. Um, but yeah, being comfortable with flexibility, I think is just very important for health in general because we don't have control over our health entirely. And I think as young people who haven't had bodies that have lived long enough on this earth to accrue a lot of health problems for the most part, perfectionism can feel easy to fall into because we already feel like we're pretty pretty close. Like, there's only a couple little things that are wrong. So if I just tweak enough stuff and if I just have the perfect plan and I just have the perfect structure, then I can have that perfect health. But that's not how human bodies work. They are faulty. They don't work perfectly because they don't need to, you know, your body doesn't need to work perfectly for you to have a good life. Um, and so just being able to become comfortable with things changing 
whether that's plans, whether that's your definition of what health means for you, whether that's your behaviors and habits, um, flexibility and being comfortable with change is uh, really, really awesome. <laughs> and um, something I highly recommend working on if, if you struggle with it. My job. <laughs> Thank you. I, I've literally never talked about that particular thing in that way before. That's why I love coming on podcasts because I like brain blast myself <laughs> when I just get going. Yeah. That's the great thing about podcasts. Okay. So speaking of obstacles or roadblocks that get in the way of a peaceful relationship with exercise that bleeds it over into all of the things in life, right? So you posted a while ago on your Instagram about how people would do well to challenge the belief that exercise has to change your appearance to be worthwhile. Can you say a little bit more about that? So this is something I feel really, really passionately about because as someone who has the lofty goal to create a world with no weight stigma, fat phobia, or body image issues, which will not happen in my lifetime, but a girl can dream. Um, I think it's really important that we start to question everything we've been taught to believe about why exercise is important. And a lot of time, if you ask someone, why is exercise important? The first thing they will say is, well, to be healthy. And that's awesome. I agree with that statement. Exercise is important so that we can experience good health. Um, but then the subtext to that for most people, because of the messaging that we've received from diet culture and our fat phobic society is that exercise is important so that we can be healthy by being thin. And then that turns into exercise is important so that we can be thin. And then that gets muddied up with attractiveness, um, and beauty ideals you know, thinness is beautiful. So now exercise is important so we can be beautiful. And that is just very far removed from that initial statement that we first made of exercise is important so we can be healthy. But even when we say that, oftentimes what we mean is exercise is important so that we can be, so that we can live up to society's beauty standards, which are always changing. It's just, you kind of skipped a few steps to get there. And, um, that is, you know, the belief that exercise is important to be attractive or to live up to society's beauty standards is an extremely damaging belief that all of us hold somewhere to a certain extent. It's not something that we created on our own. It's not a belief that even really belongs to us, but it's a belief that's kind of been implanted there by society, by media, by everything around us supports that belief. So even if like intellectually, we wouldn't say that we believe that to be true, a lot of times subconsciously, we are still acting on that belief, if that makes sense, that the decisions I make that influence my attractiveness are important decisions, basically. So consciously fighting against that when it comes to like why we decide to work out is really, really powerful because it's taking our power back when it comes to our own bodies and the way that we move them, which is an extremely intimate and personal experience. And so when you're able to do that, when you're able to challenge that idea that quote unquote exercise is important to be beautiful or to live up to beauty standards or be attractive or whatever, you are then taking exercise back to be whatever you actually want it to be instead of this thing that was just forced on you from the time, from before you were even conscious that it was happening, right? And um, 
that means sometimes doing a lot of things differently. It means interacting with social media differently. It means choosing different types of workouts because just like with sports, you know, if you've only ever been competitive in sports and done workouts to be competitive in sports, but you're trying to move away from that perfectionist in competition side to you, you might want to not participate in those same activities. So just like that example that we talked about earlier with sports and competitiveness and perfectionism, the same goes for beauty standards. If you've only ever exercised in order to look a certain way, or you've only ever done certain types of exercise to look a certain way, but you want to move away from that, you, you're like, Ooh, this is kind of messing with my mental health and my body image. Like every time I go into a gym, even if I'm like not trying to lose weight from this workout, there's always that voice in the back of my head that says, that's what this is for. Try different activities, do something different, put yourself in a different environment, do the same workout you would do at the gym, but at home, see if that helps things. Um, I feel like I've already like skipped a few steps ahead um, to like, how do you fix the problem? But yeah, the, the fact that the fitness industry focuses so much on weight and aesthetics is causing a lot of people's body image issues, or even if it's not the initial cause, it is perpetuating body image issues that wouldn't otherwise be perpetuated. Um, and if instead of teaching people to go to the gym to lose weight or have a bigger butt or make their arms leaner or whatever BS it is, and if instead we offered the option of you can go to the gym to um, learn about your body and how it feels to be in your body, like wh whoever talks about that in, you know, fit fitspo no one <laughs> it's always just look like this model look like this actress look like this singer um you know just taking the focus away from attractiveness away from aesthetics away from weight and instead putting it onto all of the other benefits of exercise that we know exist um it would help a lot of people and i think that the fitness industry has a responsibility to start to do that from that kind of higher up level like not be running weight loss challenges, not be constantly posting before and after pictures, all these things that are just quintessential diet culture, gyms, trainers, group fitness classes need to stop doing them because it's hurting people because it's making people believe that fitness is for looking a certain way. And the only way for fitness to, like you said, be worthwhile is if it makes me look a certain way. And so if it's not changing the way I look, it's not working. It's not worth it. It's not helping me, but that's not true because a lot of the changes that fitness gives you is not actually on the outside. It's on the inside. It's how you feel. It's how your body functions. And that is so much more life-changing than losing a few pounds or looking a little bit more like a Kardashian. Amen. <laughs> so I was thinking about while you were talking about that, because I agree with everything you just said, and I'm, I would not relate myself as being part of the fitness industry Dana would laugh if she <laughs> she's literally laughing right now because I'm not a gym goer that's not my vibe <laughs> at all but you know what bothers me the most about what you described is that it really takes away the opportunity for someone in a larger body to get the benefits of anybody anybody right but the stigma that's associated with being in a larger body and going into the gym and 
if you're not meeting those goals and like you said, the authority of your trainer and wanting to live up to their standards. And if something doesn't change appearance wise, then that means that they're not reaping the benefits that, or they're not doing it right. Or they're lying about what they're doing. Yeah. It's, I think it's such an important conversation to have and we can't not talk about it because sometimes it's not just about a few pounds, right? Or like wanting to look like a Kardashian. Sometimes it's people really believe that their Mm -hmm. health is on the line with this. And I want to make fitness more accessible and more approachable and a safe place for people. Even if, like you said, if it's not going into the gym, maybe it's doing it at home instead where it's a safe place where you can kind of explore that. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that and how um, it really does take away the opportunity for somebody who can, um, who would be stigmatized if they went into a gym or they didn't meet those expectations and what that does for them, you know, and, and their ability to connect with their body. Absolutely. Absolutely. So full disclosure for people listening, because you can't see me. Um, I am thin. I am not a person who lives in a fat body. Um, but a lot of my clients are, um, and I witness or hear those kinds of stories firsthand of uh, all the time of people feeling like they don't belong in, in fitness spaces because of the way that they look um, or people feeling like the only w- way that they belong in fitness spaces is if they are actively pursuing weight loss. And that's super alienating. It, the way that fitness has idolized the fitness indu- the way that the fitness industry has idolized weight loss and thinness has made it a, a very exclusive place. It's made it a place that seems like it's only for people who are already thin. And then, yeah, sure, maybe if you're trying to become thin, then yeah, you can you can be here too. But like, you better get there. Basically, is kind of the the subconscious messaging and sometimes the very direct messaging, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so let's just talk about how health at every size kind of ties into all this, which it sounds like is sort of what you're getting to with your question. And so one thing that I love to remind people of is that the health benefits of regular safe exercise, safe is very important because not all types of exercise are safe for everybody, but regular safe, appropriate exercise, the benefits of that health benefits are, have nothing to do with the way that they may change the way that your body looks. Some people experience the health benefits of exercise, meaning like better blood sugar regulation, better mental health, um, anything that would show up on blood work, (laughs) basically that exercise can impact. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to go into too many specifics and confuse people or myself. But um, those things do not require weight loss in order to happen. They can happen completely independent of weight loss. They can happen while simultaneously weight is being gained. Everybody's body is different and everybody responds differently to exercise. So tying the necessary outcome of weight loss to exercise makes it so hard to actually experience those positive outcomes because it means you are going to be looking for the weight loss outcome and then making decisions to cause that to happen instead of focusing on the actual health benefits and making decisions based on that. Because as we know, as I'm sure your listeners know, there are a lot of really, really unhealthy behaviors that do cause weight loss. And so it gets so muddied and so confusing when you conflate weight loss with improved health. 
And, um, and when you require weight loss to acknowledge improved health, I guess would be another way to say it, because it means that you're setting someone up to fall down a very, very dark path of engaging in lots of disordered, dangerous behaviors just to see that number on the scale fall. And if we were to instead just not, not care about weight so much um, and like not require it in order to consider a fitness experience to be successful, um, it would create so much more space to celebrate all the other things that fitness can bring us. And it would create space for people who sh shouldn't lose weight, who it would be actually pretty bad <laughs> if their body weighed less than it does. It would make space for them to participate in fitness in a way that feels like valid um, and, and to be validated by the fitness industry instead of having to constantly fight against that messaging themselves in order to have a positive experience. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons, in addition to all of the social cultural issues in the fitness industry and just like Western society at large that make it so hard for people to have a peaceful relationship with exercise, whether you're in a larger body and this is like a roadblock for you even wanting to engage in exercise, or this is someone who's in a smaller body and they're trying to get away from this mentality. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that gets in the way is this like earning and burning mentality with, cause everything with like calories and everything, right? So what we're specifically talking about is people associate with, okay, I have to exercise in order to earn my food or I have to exercise in order to burn it off, right? So what mm -hmm. are some of the ways that you help your clients get out of that mentality? Yeah, yeah. So it's so true that in the fitness industry and in a lot of fitness marketing, there's a huge emphasis on calories. And it really does make it seem like the purpose of exercise is to like counter counteract the intake of food and that like the value of exercise is to make food less like damaging. I don't know. It's, it's such a backwards message because then it makes it sound like food is bad for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, if I'm trying to burn it off, then like, oh my gosh, it must be so awful for me, which we know is not true. Food is amazing. It's the reason we're alive. Um, but yeah. So one of the things that I do right out of the gate to um, help people counteract that like programming is I just don't talk about calories unless I'm specifically talking about why I don't talk about calories, if that makes sense. But um, I have no idea how many calories a certain exercise burns. No personal trainer does because it would be different from body to body. There's unless you're willing to go through some very, very expensive testing to figure out how much your body burns doing jumping jacks, uh, no one literally can know. Um, and that's not information that would actually be useful to you. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just don't talk about calories. I don't talk about food as something that needs to be earned or burned off. And I don't talk about exercise as something that is on the like opposite side of the spectrum of food. Cause I think that's how a lot of the fitness industry and a lot of trainers, unfortunately talk about it, that it's like, you've got exercise on this side and you've got food on this side and you're trying to balance those scales. That's not how I imagine it for my clients. Food and exercise are related, but separate tools that you use in maintaining your health and they have different roles that are complementary, not opposite to one another. 
And um, so just framing it that way, every time I talk about fitness and food um, is important. So when I'm asking people about, I, I do ask people about nutrition a little bit when I'm working with them for the primary goal of screening for disordered eating behaviors in case I need to refer them. Um, and then also just as they enter into a new, like a lifestyle change, like a fitness change, um, making sure that they are continuing to eat enough to support that change in their activity levels. Those are my two concerns. That's really all I talk about. Um, but so when I'm asking people like, oh, like it's a morning workout, did you eat breakfast? Uh, asking people about like how their energy is and how their eating is, their digestion, things like that. It's all really to gain information about those two things. And when I ask about it, I try to make it very clear that I'm not judging what they're eating um, and that I don't think that like they necessarily need to only eat healthy food, healthy food, quote unquote, because they're exercising. So it's like taking that whole like, like, input output mentality out of it because we're not dealing with that. <laughs> it's not about quote unquote energy balance because we're not trying to actively lose or gain weight. I'm trying to make sure that they are fueling their workouts, that they feel like they have enough energy and that they are physically recovering from their workouts. So if those things aren't happening, if they're feeling really tired, if they're getting injured, if they're run down, if like a couple days of rest in between a workout isn't enough for them to feel like they're ready to work out again, they're probably not eating enough. Um, but if they're feeling good, they're feeling good. And that's what matters to me. So the way I talk about it is really important. Um, the other thing I do is I, if I hear them say something that kind of points at like, Ooh, they might be thinking about food and exercise in this problematic, like give and take kind of way. Um, or they might be thinking about calories. I'll just ask them about it. Like, Hey, are you like tracking your food. That's interesting. Like, tell me more about that. Why are you doing that? Is this something you're talking to your dietitian about? <laughs> you know, things like that. Luckily, most of my clients also work with dietitians because like I said, most of them are in recovery currently. So I don't have to do much more than just ask and say like, you should probably talk to your dietitian about that. And I'll send an email to just in case. But, um, if I were to give advice to someone who is kind of going at it on their own, which I feel like would be the next question. Um, gosh, I mean, it's hard. It, it's, it's about recognizing old thought patterns that you now know are unhelpful to you and just noticing like when those kinds of thoughts pop, pop up, when you find yourself thinking about how many calories is, is this workout burning? You have that thought and you go, oh, interesting. Why am I thinking that? Why is that important to me? And you don't have to have all the answers right away, but just becoming aware of your thoughts and where those thoughts are coming from, like the underlying beliefs that are driving those thoughts can help you kind of rewire your brain and start to think about these things differently. Awesome. I like that a lot because it kind of, um, well, one, I like hearing what you would do because I think, I think Dana and I would both agree that we encourage people to work with practitioners, <laughs> especially if you're having a lot of these types of thoughts. If you're listening to this podcast and you're nodding along like, oh yeah, I do that. Me, that's me. Please, please, that's please me. That's seek me. out support. Right. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's really empowering. And as you've described, like someone like Carolyn would be great to help you on that journey and working with people who can help you dive deeper into the whys behind it and what's going on is so important. 
So um, we've really loved having you on and we have, I have a final question because we've been talking about the fitness industry, right? Over like overall and like sure. the problems that are there and like almost kind of like this, what it could be, right? <laughs> Like how amazing it could be if, you know, it was more inclusive and everything. And I can't help but because so many people get so much of their um, fitness inspiration and fitness information from social media is a big piece. So what do you think needs to change on social media to make fitness more inclusive and supportive for all bodies, which I know is a, not a light question. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll try to, I know I can be very long-winded, so I'll try to keep my answer concise. The answer is the creators need to do what I'm doing basically, no, <laughs> but just divorce themselves from diet culture. Every fitness industry practitioner, every fitness professional needs to like challenge their, their investment in a weight centric paradigm and a weight centric view of fitness. And they need to learn about intuitive eating and health at every size and why a weight centric approach to fitness is harmful for everyone at large. That's what they need to do. And then they need to change the type of content they're putting out appropriately so that they stop hurting people by accident. Cause that's what it is. Most people have good intentions, think that they are being helpful, but they are just perpetuating, um, these toxic mindsets, these harmful behaviors without realizing how harmful they are. So the fitness industry needs to change the way they educate people and fitness practitioners need to do all of this internal work themselves and then reflect that in the way that they market their services. Um, but as consumers of social media, there's a lot that you can do to protect yourself from the bad information, from the harmful marketing tactics, um, etc. So the first thing that I would recommend is what I call social media audit. So you can do this like all in one go if you like really want to just like go hard at it, or you can kind of do it over time just as you use your social media platforms. And it's anytime a an account pops up on your feed that is like triggering to you, unfollow them. Block every diet company. Like, I know this sounds really intense and dramatic, but who cares? It's your social media feed. You get to make it the type of environment that you want to be in, right? You have no obligation to consume content that is harmful to you. So once you recognize that something is harming you, just get rid of it. If it's your friend, you don't want to unfollow them, mute them so that they don't just show up on your feed all the time. Um, it, and it doesn't matter what the reason is that you're unfollowing them. If it's, it, if you love their message and everything that they stand for, but whenever they post a picture of their body, it triggers your body image issues, unfollow them. If you love them as a person and, um, you think that they're really, really awesome, but they're always posting about their diet and you don't want to hear about it, mute them. Like I literally don't care. You're allowed to do it for whatever reason you want. If over time, you know, your feelings change, your beliefs change, or their content changes, and you realize like, oh, I can, I can follow them again. Great. Let things happen as they happen, right? It's flexibility again. It's going with the flow, changing over time. Um, and then the flip side of that is to fill your feed with other types of content. So there's two types that I recommend like replacing kind of the more diet culture -y stuff with or the triggering content with. The first is with um, like actively like body positive, um, like anti-diet content. So 
trainers that have a message like mine or dietitians, therapists, or even just like food influencers who are just like really, really intensely like anti-diet can be great to follow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we got examples all over the place right here. Um, and then the other thing would just be like content that doesn't have to do with food and exercise at all. Like, I think sometimes we, people who are either like work in these industries or just have been con like intense consumers of these industries of nutrition, of fitness, sometimes our feed, our social media feeds get so filled with that content that we forget that it, it's only one corner of the internet and you don't actually have to consume internet content that has to do with fitness. Like you literally don't, you don't have to consume any of it at all. And so filling your feed with other stuff with, I don't know, gardening accounts or puppies or just whatever else you find interesting so that when you open Instagram, so when you open TikTok, you're not just getting flooded with stuff that's making you think about your body in bad ways or whatever, whatever it is that you are dealing with personally, um, just consume other stuff. But then um, the, tr like the accounts that you find, the trainers that you find, since we are talking specifically about fitness, that you, you resonate with where you're like, yes, I like their message. I like seeing their stuff. They're teaching me things. This is good. This is good. This is good. Who are they reposting? Who do they follow? Um, like what other accounts are recommended to you based on theirs? Just go dive a little deeper because there are more and more of us all the time. Um, a few years ago, not so much, but the, this corner of the fitness industry is rapidly growing. And there are a lot of like new trainers, new fitness instructors coming onto the scene all the time who are starting out with this type of messaging. And there are like long time, uh, fitness professionals who are realizing after, you know, decades of working this one way that like, holy crap, I've been causing harm. Like I've been causing harm to myself and have made that switch like I did and are now like doing a totally different thing with their business. So there, there's more and more of us all the time. And once you find one of us, you can start with me. Um, you can find more really, really easily if you look for it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on today. This has been so, so fun. So speaking of thank you for having starting me. with you to follow you, right? Tell people all of the places that they can find you. Okay. So I'm pretty online. I'm pretty active on the internet. So um, Instagram <laughs> is where <laughs> is where I am most active. Um, so you can find me at Carolyn Vig. That's V-I-G-G-H for my last name. And I'm sure there will be links and that you can read and click on. Um, so Instagram, you can find me on Twitter um, at Carolyn underscore Vig. I'm on TikTok. Um, I have a YouTube channel that, I mean, at this point, it's like I post like three times a year, but I got some good stuff on there. And um, my newest uh, endeavor that I'm putting a lot of my energy into right now is I have a Patreon page. And so that's where a lot of content is going. Um, it is behind a paywall, but I've tried to make it as accessible as possible. It's a sliding scale as low as $2 for access to everything that I post on there. there the tiers are not, uh, you don't get a difference in content. It's just however much you personally want to pledge to have access to that. And um, right now I'm making a lot of workout videos to go on there. So think like what you would find on like pop sugar or fitness blender, but without the diet culture attached to it. Um, we are not burning calories or 
blasting anything. So, <laughs> so you can come work out with me there. And I think that covers all of the socials. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> all of that will be in the show notes. So don't worry about not being able to find Carolyn anywhere or everywhere. We will get it all covered for you. And thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.